As I listened to, uh, to Steve, I couldn't help wonder if my football coach was right, saying, Crosby, you should take guitar lessons. <laughs> we are uh, delighted that you are with us here this morning to discover a hidden gem in the Bible. It will not rest on the surface and grab you by the ankle. It's something that you'll have to dig into But my promise is that it can change your life if you feel alone, if you feel like you believe in God, or if you want to be a person who is like God, but there's something missing today could help you. It's a hidden gem. It comes from the time of the kings, the part of the Bible that is called First and Second Kings is paralleled in First and Second Chronicles, but it marks, appropriately, the time where Israel was led by kings. A whole series of them. We call it First and Second Kings just because the book was so long they split it in half. Today, we're going to talk about the time that the kings, Ahab and Joram and Jehu, were accompanied by prophets. Elijah, and then Elisha. In the time of the kings, the prophets were the voices of credibility in the realm. You would have good kings and more bad kings, but prophets were the ones who were there to tell the truth, whether it was popular or not. You might think of uh, Walter Cronkite for a previous generation, a voice of credibility, or, or Billy Graham whose voice, even if disagreed with, could be trusted. Or today, perhaps, Pope Francis. Whether you are a Catholic or not, you have the sense there is something about this man's voice that we ought to listen to. And because the prophets had not only credibility but some power, there were many who were controversial and many more who were just cheap imitations in it for the prophet's money. We're going to look at two who were not in it for the money. 2 Kings chapter 2 talks about Elisha. There's Elijah and then Elisha. I always remember that J comes before S. So Elijah comes before Elisha. This is Elisha, the successor. It's his first week as a prophet. And uh, at the end of that first week as a prophet... This is the part of the story I do not understand, or I did not understand. It says, Elisha was walking along the road, and some boys came out of the town of Bethel and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy. Get out of here, Baldy. Already, I do not like this story. Get out of here, Baldy. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse in the name of the Lord. And then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. As a bald person, I'm going, that's what I'm talking about. But as a reader of the Bible, I don't understand. A man of God turns and curses, and a crowd of boys is mauled. I picked this part of the Bible out because I have never understood it. And it's always felt terrible to me. There are parts of the Bible that you avoid that you ought to try to understand because God has something to say to you. 
For me, this little story, this quirky tale about the bears eating the boys was a reminder that when you read the story of the Bible, that the text without the context is just a pretext. In other words, you can make the Bible say anything you want. It can be for this or against it. Just pick a verse. That's the text. But without the context, that is what surrounds it, and an understanding of where the story is going, the text becomes just a pretext for whatever you want to make it say. You are putting words in God's mouth. And that's what's happened with this little story. The text is there, but without the context, it just becomes a pretext for God really doesn't love us, does he? So I went and read it again and tried to find the context. It's 2 Kings chapter 2. It starts out by saying, When the Lord was about to take the prophet Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. In other words, Elijah's time was over. It says, Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the Jordan River. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. This is a deliberate reminder of how God saved the people under Moses' leadership. When they had crossed the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, I'm leaving. Tell me. What can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Elisha replied, well, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah said, wow, wow, wow. That's difficult. You've asked a difficult thing, and and you got to tell you this. If you see what happens when I leave, this promise will be fulfilled. If you don't see what happens, God is not fulfilling this promise. So the context here, where this little quirky tale takes place, the context is about legacy. For those of you who are older, it is a story about what do you want to bequeath? What do you want to leave behind you? What's most important to leave? For all of us, it's a story about inheritance. The older turns to the younger and said, let me give you a chance to make a wish. Any wish you want. What would you like? If somebody asked you, what's any wish I could fulfill for you, what would you ask? What inheritance do you want to get? You have to be careful of what you wish for. Okay? Because a lot of times, what we wish for is not really what we want in the end. Look at the stories of the ancient world. King Midas asked to be the richest man in the world, and his wish is granted. But his touch of gold turns to death and riches kill. In the same way, the story of Dorian Gray comes from a man who wants to live forever, who fears growing old, and the painting that is hidden in his closet is the only sign of his aging. He stays forever young on the outside, but the painting becomes evil and awful and twisted inside, even as his body lives forever. What if you could have anything that you want? A woman said that she wanted to marry the most handsome man in the world. And, uh, and instead of a husband that looked like George Clooney, she got somebody else. You have to be careful. You have to be careful about what you wish for.
There was no need to laugh that loud. (laughs) This is a story about legacy. At the beginning of the book of Kings, there's another transition. King David dies and Solomon takes over. Solomon asks for a different gift. He said, I would ask you, God, to give me wisdom so that I can lead your people. And now Elisha, that was the king asking, now Elisha the prophet is saying, if I could have anything, God, I would like a double helping of Holy Spirit power. Elijah had it. I need more. Will he get his wish? The text goes on. As the prophets were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and he cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw his master no more. Elisha took off his garment and ripped it apart. This is, this is a sign of grieving, of mourning for the dead. And Elijah is gone. And then it says, He picked up Elijah's coat, which has fallen to the ground, and stood on the bank of the Jordan River, and he struck the water with the cloak, as Elijah had done. He asked, Where now is the Lord? Where is the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, it divided again to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. So he now has the prophet's cloak and the prophet's power. When they had first met back in 1 Kings, Elijah had come up to this young man and had put his cloak around him, saying, You're my boy, and now the cloak is his. Elijah is his spiritual heir with a double portion of the Holy Spirit. How will that change his week? How does that lead to the bears? How does the Holy Spirit change somebody's life? In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come to people and fall upon them just for a little while, and wild things would happen. They would know the future. They would understand power. They would be given courage. The Spirit would come, and then the Spirit would go in surprising ways. That apparently happened to Elijah in powerful ways throughout his life. And now Elisha has asked for double that. When Jesus comes and lives, he says at the end of his life, I have to go now and you're going to be sorry that I'm not with you. But if I don't leave you here in this place, then the Holy Spirit can't come to everybody. If I go... I will send my spirit to all of you all the time. You and I are the spiritual descendants of Elisha. Being a Christian is not about saying, I believe in Jesus, although that's part of it. It is not about saying, I'm going to keep the Ten Commandments, although that is part of it. The primary witness of being a follower of Jesus is that you acknowledge that God is with you all the time. God's spirit has come upon you. And so just as I want us to look at what happened to Elisha, I want us to ask ourselves, what is the presence of the Spirit to you today? Or is this just some religion you believe in? In Elisha's story, he asked for a double portion of the Spirit. It's already started. 
He already has the Spirit because the first sign of the Spirit coming to somebody is they start to see things that other people do not see. They start to look at life through different lenses, and it's no longer about first childhood, then school, then work, then maybe marriage, then retirement, then death. It's different. They look at the world different. There's a group of hundreds of prophets who were on the other side of the Jordan River and they saw the two prophets go across and then Elijah just disappears from their sight. Elisha saw what other people did not. That's the work of the Spirit. Laura, my wife, talked about this last week. She talked about how the Spirit comes to people and shows them things they could never see. Remember, she told the story of how the prophet wakes up in the morning and his assistant walks out of the tent and sees the enemy surrounding them and starts to freak out. And the prophet comes out of the tent and he goes, don't worry about it. What do you mean, don't worry about it? They're going to kill us. And the prophet says, don't worry about it. God, show him what I see. And the assistant looks up. And he sees the enemy surrounding them. But surrounding the enemy are these huge angel armies. They had nothing to worry about. Does God give you the ability to see what other people do not? When everybody else is worried about their stock portfolio, do you see that God holds the future? When everybody else is on one side of an issue and you believe the truth is on the other... Does God's Spirit show you the truth to stand firm? That's what happened to Elisha. It said, the prophets who'd been watching all this said, the Spirit is resting on Elisha now. And they bowed down before him. Look, Elisha, we have 50 men. Let them go look for your master. Maybe the Spirit of the Lord has picked Elijah up and put him someplace else. They did not see what Elisha saw. Elijah going up to heaven. No, 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 Elisha says, don't send them. Something else has happened. But the men persisted until Elisha was too embarrassed to refuse. Everybody else is doing it. How can you be so different? So he said, go ahead. And 50 men searched for three days but couldn't find Elijah. And when they returned to the prophet who was staying in Jericho by now, he said to them, didn't I tell you so? Didn't I tell you so? The Spirit showed him something new, but Elisha, being new to it, didn't trust it. Spirit-filled people still make mistakes. Sometimes you and I see what God wants us to do and do not do it, small or big. But we learn. We learn. The, The second mark of the Spirit comes right next. It says, The people of the city said to Elisha, Look, Lord, our town is well situated. You can see that. But the water here is bad and the land is unproductive. Apparently, Jericho, ancient city, the water system has become polluted. Elisha said, bring me a bowl and put salt in it. And he went to the spring and he threw the salt in the water saying, this is what the Lord says. I've healed the water. Never again will it cause death or be unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, just as Elisha had spoken. The Spirit opens people's eyes to see different things. And then I believe God's Spirit 
opens our eyes to the needs of the world around us. So that we see the same thing that other people walk by and we cannot walk by. We're called to stop and called to act on behalf of God. We don't do what God does. We show up and we start our part and then God does what God alone can do. If if Elijah had said, watch what I can do, and threw the salt in and the water changed, that would not have been trusting in God. That wouldn't have been faith. That would have been magic. People who have the Spirit cannot do magic, but they can trust in the God who cares about the things that they see around them. This is uh, 2014. It is 20 years since the nation of Rwanda was ripped apart. Since in less than 60 days, a million people were killed, slaughtered in genocide in Rwanda. The United Nations sent a delegation too late to see what had happened. And the Justice Department of the United States sent a delegate with them to see what they might do. And so this young lawyer from the Justice Department went to Rwanda, and his job was to count the bodies, literally identify the dead people and count the bodies and see who remained for aid. And it took months. This young, hotshot Harvard lawyer who was a follower of Jesus had his guts ripped out as day after day he had to go into building after building and count bodies. It was 20 years ago. His name was Gary Haugen. And he says, louder and louder every day, I started to hear the voice inside of me saying, where was God when this happened? I believe in you, God. Where were you when this happened? He said, the last week that I was in Rwanda, I woke up saying, God, where were you when this happened? And it was if God stopped my day and God said to me, Gary, where were God's people when this happened? I work in this world through my people. Where were my people, Gary? And for 20 years, Gary has felt like his call is to lead a movement of people who will oppose evil when it oppresses the poor. Evil wants to pick on people, but it usually doesn't pick on the wealthy people. It doesn't pick on the power people. It picks on the people that it can bully. And so around the world, children are forced into slavery to make little cigarettes in India. And young girls are literally kidnapped from their villages and forced into prostitution. And in Africa, widows who have lost their husbands to AIDS are kicked off their land. And everything is taken from them because they are weak and helpless. Gary saw this and said, where are God's people when this happens? In the International Justice Mission, which we have the proud privilege of being part of, was set up to make the water clean. And Gary says, the more I do this, the more I see that God wants us to oppose evil and that this work is impossible without God. People who have God's Spirit in them see what other people do not. They also see what other people walk by and they want to do something about it to be faithful to the King of Heaven. 
How about you? What do you see? Your vision will not be the same as mine. Your calling won't be to where I am called to go. But I got to tell you, if the Holy Spirit is with you, He is showing you things and God is saying, this breaks my heart. Does it break your heart too? Elisha has that happen to him in Jericho. One more sign about the Holy Spirit at work. Elisha in that first week discovered it. After that, Elisha was walking along the road. And some boys came out of Bethel and cheered at him. Get out of here, Baldy. Get out of here, Baldy. And he turned around and looked at them and called down a curse in the name of the Lord. And then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. That is not a very mythological statement. It's as if somebody had to count the bears and count the boys. As if it really happened. When I put together the idea that someone given the Spirit sees what others do not see, when I saw that the Spirit brings the needs of the world to people's faces, I also started to see that people who are given the Spirit of God will face repeated opposition. That opposition comes to those who will follow the path of the Spirit. This is not just a group of 42 little Sunday school kids who are singing Jesus Loves Me. This is part of a mob of children and adolescents that have been spurred on by adults. You see these crowds. You see these gangs of kids with rocks in their hands on the streets of Syria today. And in the streets of the favelas of Brazil, throwing rocks turning over trucks. Little kids, because they've seen big brothers do it. You see this in Palestine, and sometimes you see it in riots in the States. And Elisha turned around, and he saw himself being opposed by people who were saying, get out of here, Baldy, get out of here, Baldy, take your God and go away. Now, i got to tell you, I think opposition is easier to see in history than it is in the present. When I look at somebody listening to the voice of the Spirit, I think of Martin Luther King and the opposition he endured. I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who believed that God wanted him to do something about the evils of Nazi Germany and was opposed to the death. I think about William Wilberforce, who gives up this life of luxury and being a friend of the prime minister in England so that he could oppose the slave trade all of his career and be mocked for it every year of his service. But I I think that while it's easy to see opposition to the faithful in history, it's imperative to see it here and now. Uh, Yesterday we had uh, kids who were in junior high sitting here, high school sitting here, and in college sitting over here. And I turned to them and I said, you live in two worlds, don't you? You live in the world of the church. You're here. You love your youth group. You love these stories. You believe in Jesus. You go home and you guys pray at dinner. But then you live in the world of your school, where it is not only not cool to be Christian, 
it often calls you to make decisions where people oppose you, whether that is cheating on a test or going to a party or using drugs or being involved sexually. You often have the opposition of the crowd to the way of God. Jesus promised us that he would give us the same spirit that Elisha had. Will it have the same effect? The effect of the spirit on Elisha was to send him into trouble. The effect of the spirit upon Jesus was to send him to the cross. The effect of the spirit on you is what? To make you a Presbyterian? I don't think so. I think Jesus is calling you to go out and let the Spirit change your life today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I I thank you for this weird little story about the bears that I never understood until until I broadened my eyes. I ask you that you would send your spirit in a fresh way to my friends who have come in here this morning, this beautiful day, that they might leave believing that your spirit's presence means you are with us all the time. Help those who feel alone to know that they are not. I believe your spirit helps us to see what others cannot that we are meant to live forever. That there are forces of evil and good all around us that cannot be seen. I pray for that eyesight for many of my friends here. God, I believe your Spirit gives us tasks that are so big and so important that only you can finish them. We cannot throw salt into the pond and make it turn out clean. But we can see the needs that you put before us and try to be faithful and ask you to help with them. Lord, we want to follow you. But we also want people to like us. Opposition in this community does not usually mean that our houses are burned or our churches are shut or people chase us. But we need bravery to oppose the forces that would draw us and others from you. I ask that you will do that this day and do much, much more. That life and light and joy might mark the children of the Spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit we pray. Amen.